Hello, everyone. This is Reb Brad, and you're listening to the Soccer Chaplains United podcast from the Touchline. Today, I have a special guest joining me on the pod, Dr. Brad Miller, one of the founders of Soccer Resilience. It's a new organization whose mission is to train the most underutilized competitive edge in sports, the mind, transforming the mindset and elevating the well-being of athletes, coaches, and parents. Well, Dr. Miller is a licensed clinical psychologist who has his doctorate in psychology from the California School of Professional Psychology, and he specializes in family and children's psychology. During this month of September, I wanted to feature a bit on mental health and whether you're a professional footballer or a young aspiring player or parent, I think you'll enjoy meeting and listening to Dr. Miller. So don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. He's found the space and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post. Almost made him in and they have. He has the hat trick. The second in his career. The third of the night. The hat trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner. Goes towards the near post. And you're on the angle. And what a goal. What a goal. Well, I want to welcome a special guest to the podcast today, Dr. Brad Miller. And uh, there's a few things about Brad that I love. One, his first name, Brad, just like mine. Um, the other thing I love is that Brad lives in San Diego, California, and I'm very jealous because my family just spent a wonderful vacation uh, in Solana Beach earlier this summer in June. Absolutely loved it. And I've told my children, my wife, uh, if there's any place I would move on earth besides Colorado, likely to be San Diego because of the weather. So, Brad, great to have you on the Touchline podcast today, and welcome. Thanks, Brad. I really appreciate you having me on today. So, Brad, you are a licensed clinical psychologist, uh, a graduate of Wake Forest. Uh, we're going to get into some of this Um and founder of Soccer Resilience, which is part of having you on the podcast today, with September being National Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month, and with a sort of emphasis on mental health, wanted to have a few guests on this month that uh, talked about mental health and different things that we see in soccer, in football, uh, amongst athletes and coaches, and, and again, along the themes of holistic care, which is a desire for most of the chaplains, myself, and, and the chaplains that work with Soccer Chaplains United. But uh, Brad, share with us a little bit your background and history. Uh, why soccer? How'd you get involved? And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you kind of pick up where, where you'd like to. All right. Well, thank you, Brad, again, for having me on um, and, and, and love what the chaplains do. It's a great program. So thank you for showing so much care to, to all the athletes who, who really need that. Um, my, you know, involvement in soccer uh, as a youth player, it was my favorite sport, just really loved to compete. I was this kind of big, um, physical, uh, blue collar center back and just loved to compete. When I was a kid, I would purposely try to find pickup games where I would take the, the least strong players and then take on the best players and go, yeah, maybe we can like at least shut them down or maybe we can win. And that's how soccer really was for me. It was really my therapy as a kid. Mm. And um, my senior year was very fortunate, got recruited to go to Wake Forest. And that was when Wake was just becoming a top 20 program. And so I had a lot of work to do. We had about 25 people on the roster my freshman year. And true story, I was probably 24th or 25th in technical skills. Like if you literally drove by the field and saw this guy, you'd be like, is that the coach's son? Are they just letting him <laughs> practice the team? Like, what is this? And so I had a lot of work. I knew I did. I was kind of a you know, diamond in the rough. Defensively, I had a lot to offer early, but my technical skills were a liability. So I had a lot of work to do. And I really did. I kind of put my head down, grinded, persevered, would, you know, work my way up into more playing time slowly over time. And my last year, I got some significant starts, which was really, really rewarding. Um, but the one thing I was really unprepared for, Brad, was performance anxiety. Mm. And it really hit me out of the blue. Um, as a youth player, I was just fortunate. I, I started almost every game. I didn't really worry about playing time. If I you know, played poorly, I'd be disappointed myself, but I knew I'd be most likely back in that position the next day. I wouldn't get taken yeah. out for a mistake. But when I got to wake and the competition was so tough, it's like my brain just got hijacked. And all of a sudden I would worry a lot about really small things in practice, like in, in different drills. Did the coach see that mistake? Oh no. 
that's mm. horrible or did they see me make this do this play well and i just overthought a lot of things i really became kind of obsessed at times about you know the mistakes i made or the mistakes i could make uh, it absolutely affected my confidence mm. um affected my joy at times and uh, definitely affected my performance uh, i was really fortunate we won an acc championship made some of my best friends there. It was wonderful experiences but it was a real love-hate relationship with soccer and when I graduated, and, and so, you know, Brad, too, I didn't tell anybody that I had it. I really kind of suffered in silence. And in fact, I was talking to a friend last week, and he was asking some things about him for his son. And I said, well, you know, I had performance anxiety, right? And he said, what? Mm. I said, yeah, you didn't know. And that's the response I get from most of my friends. You know, my roommates probably wouldn't call it performance anxiety. They knew because I'd be like, hey, Gilly, did you did you see that, 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 that practice? Did you see make that great play? Do you think coach saw that? He's like, I don't know. It's just practice, right? But to yeah. me, it became such a big deal. So um, when I, I graduated, I knew I wanted to work with, uh, with, with, with people to help. Um, and so I wanted to be a psychologist. And so when I started working, I, I wanted to work with athletes too. I just had a special place for them because of all the things I went through as a collegiate athlete and didn't try strategies. You know, and honestly, if someone had come to me, Brad, and asked me, I said, hey, I'm here to help. I don't know if I would have said yes. You know, and so I wanted to give them these tools. And you know, for the last 20 years, I've been working with athletes and their families at all levels. And it's so rewarding because they'll come in and say, oh, I'm struggling with my confidence at times. I don't understand in practice, I'm really strong, solid. And then I get in a game and just sometimes it gets away from me and I'm feeling burnt out. I'm just not having as much fun. I'm not playing as well as I can. And we would talk about really simple, effective strategies and they would come back and go, you know what? Okay. I'm feeling more in control of myself. I'm feeling like I can bounce back from those setbacks much better. And I'm starting to have more joy. And of course, the performance follows. And that was so rewarding. And I thought, well, how could I reach more people than just in a one-on-one -on -one setting? So about three years ago in San Diego, um, I started something called Soccer Resilience. And I just was working with uh, club teams here um, in San Diego and didn't want to do too much because I have two kids and I wanted to be around for them as well and try to have some balance in life. Um, but the pandemic came along and I did my first Zoom meeting and that opened up some doors because I have, you know, connections and friends in different states, different cities. And so I um, was like, well, maybe we can, I can expand this and was really fortunate. Uh, Wells Thompson put out a, a message on LinkedIn actually and just said, um, you know, hey, you know, I, I've, I've struggled with anxiety and depression after after soccer, um, and I just texted him and said, thank you so much for saying that because it helps me as a psychologist when I can refer people to your story and the people's stories so they understand, especially yeah. men, that this is something we all go through. And so we both were excited about what we both have been doing with kids and players and wanted to spread this message and really try to start a movement of soccer resilience. And so we teamed up um, about three months later, we teamed up with Matt Spear uh, who, who was an 18-year coach at Davidson, as uh, the president of Richmond Kickers for two years. Um, he's also played their Final Four captain. Ironically, Matt and I were teammates. Oh, <laughs> really? Wow. He was the center, uh, center mid, I was the center back. Um, and so he's from Winston. Wells is also from Winston. Another fun fact, he was about three miles from me. We're different in, in age. So uh, we didn't know each other. We both went to Wake. And then in January, uh, we linked up with Jessica McDonald. And it was just great symmetry of all of us. And, you know, Jess has such an amazing story of resilience. And if your listeners have not heard, highly encourage them. It, it's incredibly inspiring what she's overcome as a, growing up um, as a kid and uh, in high school and then just injuries in college and being the only single mom in the NWSL and being traded six times and then eventually becoming a World Cup champion in 2019. It's an incredible story. Um, and we really wanted to have different voices on um, in our company, you know, three white males and say, okay, we need some other voices, yeah. other ideas. And so Jess has a lot of great ideas and insights. And so we're kind of the four founders of Soccer Resilience. We have another partner, John Blake. Um, and that's really what Soccer Resilience is. Uh, you just touched on like a billion things I want to talk about, but, but one, Brad, is the idea that uh, receptivity as a as a football chaplain of some 20 years one of the biggest challenges i've seen for chaplains and counselors other what i'd, I'd say helpers around this space is athlete trust coach trust um, i've had coaches that say to me oh rev you are just there for the bad times right and oh rev yeah you're just there for the religious guys right 
or you know there's different concepts around and and that those kind of create some barriers so speak for a minute like what's been um you know you mentioned having like a former pro and wells and his story or a current pro and jess that um you can refer people to you can share the story uh, what are some other ways that you've seen are, are helpful for sort of breaking down some of the stereotypes some of the barriers that exist between um someone that's just really trying to help and and that help could come from different places chaplaincy counseling uh, and others that we could list but what are what are some other ways you've seen that those walls kind of come down yeah they, they, I, I think there still is that stigma if you use the word uh, counseling mental health right people get simply get very uncomfortable um, and, and can be turned away um, I think for for us that when you, you know, that, that trust and credibility you talked about, right? And so one of the things that I, I think is so special about us is that we've all played soccer at, at elite levels. Um, mm -hmm. Division one, you know, Wells obviously played, you know, nine years in, in, in the pro professional MLS Cup, Jess with uh, North Carolina Courage now and the World Cup um, champion that I think that that gives you some opportunity where people will kind of listen. And, and some things I think that break down is really you know, for us, a lot of times when we talk with, and it's maybe more about soccer resistance, maybe than sort of for chaplains, but um, I think a lot of it applies as well. You know, one of the things we'll say is that, you know, and it's true that we'll see, you know, players and coaches putting countless hours of hard work and training to grow the technical, the tactical, the physical skills, only to see anxiety and stress rob them, right, mm. of their performance yeah. and enjoyment. And it's so frustrating for all involved, especially the player, just the, the, like that negative, that criticism, that self-critic that gets activated in us, right? We're not able to perform in the way we know we can. And so really letting them know this has got benefit to you, right? It's right. in their performance. You know, coaches have so much pressure, so much pressure to have their players perform and perform at the level they can. And so I think just letting them know there's that benefit, sometimes that opens the door. And we also, you know, have been finding a lot of like-minded uh, clubs and coaches where they also want to see the wellness of their players. They value that. And certainly we know that our wellness off the field absolutely translates to on the field. So I think that, um, you know, some people who are maybe really in that place of about, you know, sort of focused on performance and wins is to let them know that your services are going to help that too. You know, yeah. and just to help them be open to see that and also letting them know that if they have you know, better wellness, spiritual wellness, mental health wellness off the field, that's absolutely going to help when they come on the field because, you know, life doesn't just stop once we go to practice and once we're in a game and once the game's over. Um, so sometimes I think that can be a useful way to do that. Um, and there are some like-minded people who really see the big picture and say, you know, I, I, I want my players, you know, to, to be well you know, and have joy and fulfillment. I care about them and their families if they have families. Um, and so I think that those can be some ways sometimes to maybe get a foot in the door. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about too, the obsession that you had with the performance anxiety. And, and I've seen that play out amongst footballers, elite footballers, especially at the MLS level where, you know, I've seen guys get done with training and, the, and they go run stairs in the stadium for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. And then, you know, eventually the body breaks down when you keep doing those kinds of things. And, and so then your physicality is affected by your mentality and it just becomes a sort of vicious cycle. Um, what were some of the other ways that you saw that sort of obsession other than just asking teammates, hey, did you see this? Did you see my excellent performance or my poor performance? What other obsessive things came out for you in your own personal experience as you were at Wake? Yeah, so my senior year in high school, um, I started having a lot of like really good, you know, sort of like pregame rituals. And there's a lot of value and benefit in that, right? The downside of all rituals is sometimes it becomes what happens when you're not able to do it, right? The yeah. anxiety can come. It's kind of more that obsessive kind of part. Um, so when I got to wake, you know, I, I just sort of increased that, right? Which is really sometimes like, okay, I have to do this three and a half hours before a game. Hmm. Okay, then I have to do this and have to do this, right? And if, you know, I, to just the timing of the game, we're getting on a plane, we're getting on a bus, class, didn't have time to do it, that would sometimes create more anxiety in me. Mm. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. okay, this is the formula. And I just felt like I had so much work to do because my technical skills were lower than a lot of other people. My coaches would say, you know, Miller, you know, if we just could have gotten you two years ago, 
And so, you know, my mind would go and honestly, you know, what happened to me is I went to ODP when I was 10, I went to a tryout and the first 45 minutes were technical, last 45 minutes were scrimmage. Well, I really struggled on the technical part. And so I developed what is sort of, you know, for listeners though, between like a growth and fixed mindset, a real fixed mindset. I was like, well, Brad, you're just this big, tall defender. You're strong, you're athletic, you're great in the air. You can shut people down, but you're really not good with the ball. And that's just who you are. And so mm-hmm. I, de- I, I didn't really understand this at the time, but what I basically did is I shied away from that. And so I would get the ball as quick as I could get rid of it. I didn't really develop those skills. I mean, I would do things in practice, but nothing beyond. And when I got to wake, I paid the price. So sometimes my mind would go to, well, this is on you. Coach says that he could have gotten you a couple of years. You know what I mean? I would kind of go back in the time machine and kind of want to redo history. And of course you can't. And so that would be some things. Um, and then just my mind would start to forecast and predict all the things that could happen. Oh my gosh. Okay. You're playing today. We're playing Virginia. Oh my, here's your opportunity. It's just, okay. What are you going to do? Oh my gosh. When the ball comes to you, well, they're so fast and quick and they counter so well. Oh no. You know, and my brain would just start to just flood me with those things. I didn't understand why the brain did that. And I didn't really have a plan for what to do, except just sort of try to block it out. And sometimes it would, but it would always come back. So I think just overthinking things in the future, um, you know, even in games, sometimes I'd get in and it would take me longer to kind of acclimate to the game because my brain would be like, oh no, oh no, oh no, the ball's coming your way. I mean, I was so focused on the ball economy, Brad, that like it's, you know, I'm in the back and it's the other side of the field in the corner. I'm like, okay, we can lose possession quickly. They send a long ball, center mid, sends over the top, and it's right to you. I mean, I was constantly, which was great, by the way, as a defender, I didn't get caught sure. off guard very often, right? But yeah. it unnecessarily created so much stress. Uh, in myself that, that, that was over the top. Did you ever see anything, uh, with all that stress, uh, how did that affect the other parts of your life? I mean, did it affect relationships or sleep habit or study? How did that impact in other ways? Yeah. You know, um, during my college years, I had a long distance girlfriend. Um, so that made it kind of easier in some ways because I was just, you know, with my friends and, and, you know, school and soccer didn't have to try to juggle the relationship part as often during the season. Um, but, you know, I think for me that, that I just didn't have a balance. I didn't have the balance the way I wanted to. I had friends who would go and do more things and I would kind of be like, how can you do that? You know, I, I just felt like I, I had such a small margin of error. I had so much work to do that I didn't get that luxury sometimes, you know, and I still had a social life and go out friends and do things, but there would be things that other people would never notice, but I knew in my head, you know, I'm like, well, no, you can't do that. You've got to work on this. You yeah. know, and, and, and so I think that that, and, and now as I look back, as I even hear myself say this to you right now, Brad, I realize that's so not true. That makes it so much worse, right? If we dive, if we invest everything into something, the amount of pressure that puts on that, and of course, when it doesn't go well, because all things have up and downs, it just activates the alarm, our brain's in threat mode. And then it makes you want to double down on all those things like you talked about. My body's exhausted, but I'm going to run, you know, 45 minutes on the stairs because that's going to give me that extra edge, not understanding that what's the impact on that maybe in three days in a week and in a month. Yeah. I've, I've even seen that amongst uh, some of the managers and coaches that have been at some of the clubs is they, they double down, as you say, and they say, all right, we, we've got to get in and study the game film better, or we've got to figure out training patterns and mechanisms to try and get uh, more performance out of our team. And, you know, eventually they start, showing up at 6 a.m. And, and leaving at 9 p.m. at night and, and there's no room or space for anything else in life and they, they really become dead in, in some senses. They overburdened, overtaxed, overworked, and, um, and the results continue. They continue to decline or, or not, you know, the amount of effort and work poured in. And, and uh, we can see that, you know, even in other industries as well, right? Workaholism is... Um, can can really have impacts uh, in many different ways, and we're better when we're balanced because we're whole people. We we have other dimensions to us that uh, that need to be fed and cared for and cultivated. And um, so, yeah, I I appreciate those things, and especially when we're younger, and, and especially in college, uh, we don't have sometimes that life experience or those people around us that can say, "Hey, take a break." I, I remember one footballer had been running the stairs after training and um, he, he still wasn't breaking into the lineup. He was still struggling. And I shared with him, I just said, Hey, what would it look like if you just went and did something that you are passionate about that 
feeds something else part of your life. And um, I, I can't take any credit for anything, but I think he went, he started to go fishing and sure enough, a, a few weeks later, he kind of had a little bit of a breakthrough with the, the team and um, you could see his mentality uh, really change and it was different. So it's, it's kind of sweet to see those kinds of moments when people actually um, get into a flourishing mode rather than a, um, you know, a floundering mode, so to speak. That's yeah, that, that, that's really well said. There's um, one piece if I can add this to is a, a, a piece of resiliency that people don't often think about, but is really crucial is recovery. And, you know, physically, right, we know that if we go and lift weights, right, that we lift weights, we have the microfiber tears in our muscles and yeah. the day off allows the healing cells to come in and make them bigger and stronger. And over time, you have more strength and power. Well, mentally and emotionally, you know, as you talked about so many people who were very driven and certainly at, at wake, I mean, I really wish I would have had someone tell me this, um, you know, that, that it was almost, it's, it's, it's either a sign of weakness that I need recovery or it's almost like an add-on, you know, it's like, well, it'd be nice, but I don't really need it. And instead I'm going to do more and more and that our brain sometimes, especially elite athletes and people who are very driven you know, a, a perfectionistic and, and really want to achieve that we get that reward, that dopamine reward, that feel good chemical of when right. we accomplish something. So even we have downtime, it's like, well, I'm just going to work on this, or I'm just going to do this, I'm going to do this. And it's hard to sit and relax. Yeah. And that that mental and emotional recovery from practice, I mean, think about for athletes, what they go through, and just the day of life, even off the field, right, they've got, you know, relationships, finances, health, you know, family, friends, those types of things. It's mentally and emotionally drained. Then they step on training at that elite level that requires so much focus, so much to do. And then there's the stress, of course, right? The thoughts come in, the negative thoughts about, okay, which team am I practicing with today? What does that mean? Does that mean I'm going to be starting? Does that mean I'm not going to be starting, right? Does that mean that coach doesn't like me? Does that mean this and this? All those worries come in. And then when we're done with practice, our mind is exhausted. And it needs to recover. And if we don't build in recovery, mental, emotional recovery, and we just wake up and expect our mind to be alert, focused in the present moment and be able to manage the emotion, the stress that come with it, it's just not realistic. And so that's something we really try to stress is the value of recovery. When you're done with training, when you're done with practice, what do you do to recover? Yeah. Some people are like, well, I'll go play video games. And again, now in some ways, if that's a distraction, that can be kind of helpful, but that's not also being your mind recover. Right. Just those things of gratitude journals, meditation, mindfulness. If you like to go for a walk outdoors, just something to let your mind settle and recover and get in the present moment is so crucial, um, you know, to recover from the day. But for the longevity, as you, you know, kind of spoke of and for that person, fishing might have been that great recovery. I'm going to go and mentally recover and just be more quiet and at peace while I fish. Yeah. 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 For, uh, for chaplains, we, we use concepts of Sabbath and rest to talk about the need for the mental and the spiritual to, uh, to experience just a, a place of solitude, um, quiet, um, sometimes communing if, if in terms of a person of faith, um, you know, connecting spiritually with maybe others with God, um, however that is. And, uh, so, but those, those are important aspects to, uh, to consider. So Brad, you, you shared and said, you know, you know, we're teaching these things. So share a little bit about soccer resilience. Um, the work that you guys are doing, I, I know that you're doing work, uh, across many different levels, youth clubs, all the way up to professionals, um, share a little bit about, some of the work of soccer resilience, the aims, the outcomes that you're seeing already, what were three years or so into this, you know, with a pandemic thrown in. So, but what are some of the things you guys are seeing with soccer resilience in terms of just your own, your own work amongst the football community? Yeah. So we have uh, four pillars of soccer resilience. That's really kind of our foundation as to what our sort of message is. And that first pillar is take control. And one of the most powerful psychological needs we have is to really feel in control of our thoughts and behavior and how we respond to the world around us. And so we really help with kind of having that resilient mindset, becoming more self-aware of your thoughts and understand the brain has a negative bias. Uh, just briefly for your listeners, um, our brain is hardwired to overly focus on the negative and the past, the present and future. And it really comes from 
our brain's number one job, which is to survive. Our brains were built, you know, back in saber tooth tiger days where there was danger everywhere. So if mm -hmm. your brain wasn't really, really good at noticing danger, predicting danger, seeing it in the present, remembering where it was, so you'll know where it is next time, you didn't survive very well. Yeah, you didn't last our, long. <laughs> right. So our brain is still wired that way today, and it makes us so much more vulnerable to anxiety and depression, particularly for elite players, because the brain is going to always want to predict and, and know ahead. It always wants the next, what's coming next. And so helping players understand that your brain's going to focus more on the negative when you get a start, you have a big game, your brain's going to absolutely take you places of what could go wrong more than what could go right. But there are tools and strategies to steer your mind towards more places of focus, concentration, motivation, and confidence. Um, Brad, do you know what percentage of our daily thoughts are negative? I'd imagine it's, it's pretty high. I'd, I'd say uh, 75% or higher if for the untrained mind, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. 80%. Wow. The average person, the average day is 80%. So if we think about that, then if we're going to go play soccer where there's a ton of potential to feel embarrassed, disappointed, frustrated, the brain's going to help highlight that. And it yeah. wants us to avoid. That's unfortunately the brain's number one solution is avoid. You know, coming on the podcast, I always get nervous. And so I'm a little nervous. My brain's like, you know, you don't have to do this. <laughs> right? That's a great idea. You know, yeah, Brad will be disappointed. It's incredibly rude and disrespectful, but hey, you won't feel nervous. You, you won't make right. a mistake, right? That's what our brains do. So we really help them focus on taking control of their mindset and then also their body. You know, things that's so powerful, that deep uh, diaphragmatic breathing, quickest, most effective way to regain control of our mind, reset our brain, get ourselves in a present moment, body in that optimal state of energy. So we give them lots of tools and strategies. And we talk about really being proactive versus reactive. Proactive is strategies to help you strengthen things, rewire your brain so you're less vulnerable to having some of the anxiety and stress overwhelm you and then having a response in the moment. What do you do in those moments when we have a mistake, make a, or, or make a mistake, have a setback? So once we talked about taking control, we really want them to dive into their purpose. And a lot of players don't really have a strong sense of why they play. So we yeah. want them to dive into that. And if we can help that purpose also connect to others, it's an extra value. And so people with that deep, meaningful purpose outlast and outperform those who don't have that deep, meaningful purpose. And when it also relates to people around you, that will help you excel as well. And it really is key to give you more motivation and confidence and perseverance because purpose helps push you through those hard times. It reminds you of what you're doing, why you're doing, and steers your mind towards how you can try to accomplish that goal rather than the obstacles. And that third pillar is um, uh, build, um, sorry, build perseverance. And most athletes, all athletes, know how to persevere. <laughs> As yeah. I talked about, it was a strength for me, but what about when it doesn't work? We all hit walls, we all hit moments when those strategies we have that help us push through aren't working and we need other tools and we really come in, help them prepare and predict. They're gonna have setbacks, but have a plan. Most players, honestly, don't really have a plan for what to do when they make a mistake. You know, right. they have a plan for when they're gonna make a run, right? When they're gonna, you know, where they're gonna go in on set piece, but what about when you make a mistake? What about when you overthink? And so we give them those tools. And that last pillar is enhanced performance. And we really bring it together to say you can have a, you know, now you're going to see the results translate on the field, right? You're going to play the, to your abilities. You're going to feel more confident, play more consistent. And a big part of that is helping them, like you talked about, not have that performance identity, more of a, you know, a purpose identity. You mm -hmm. know, this is why I play versus, okay, what were the outcomes, you know, and, 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 and steering away from being outcome focused. How many goals do I have? How many assists? How many minutes have I played? What's our team standing versus how can I grow? How can I keep growing? How can I keep improving? And so that's really the foundation of what we do um, and how we kind of deliver that. Um, right now, you know, we're, we're a year into this and we are continuing to grow. Um, in addition to our team, I just want to mention we have some wonderful ambassadors. Um, we have over 10 ambassadors now, uh, many current players, former players, all kind of want to be part of this movement to really help build that resilience of players on and off the field. Um, so our main kind of three ways that we do that, Brad, is one through uh, mental uh, mental training sessions. That's often been Zoom thus far, um, depending on locations, we can do that in person too. But we kind of walk them through sort of our foundation, kind of the Sports Psych 101, that foundational part first. And then some teams we've done a deep dive, gone back and kind of more advanced levels of sort of 
uh, tools and strategies to help them. So mental training sessions. Um, we also do, uh, we created in June, our online academy, which is a resource, online resource for uh, players, coaches, and parents have separate segments for that. And we really want to try to treat uh, the whole environment to best help the player. And so it's crucial, especially with youth players, to involve parents and coaches, but collegiate and pro really helping those coaches understand the, the mental game, how to strengthen that for their players, using specific strategies in practice and games to help them strengthen that and how they can help support um, their players when they go through struggles. So I think that's so crucial. So we give lots of tools and strategies for all those people. Um, and it's great. It's got uh, videos and resources for people like Walker Zimmerman, Kara Ricaro, Players for the Courage, Jess Wells, where they just talk about different parts of the game, different strategies, how they bounce back, struggles that they've gone through, tips that have helped them, um, and make it fun and enjoyable. And what I love about this is it's such a great way to help people have a resource they can go to at any time. And we had like these monthly team talks. We just had one with Carrie uh, Ricaro on Sunday. We've got you know people from all over the country talking about how to help parents, players, and coaches, right? And those kind of conquer setbacks and how to optimize performance. Um, and so we're able to reach a lot of people with that online academy. Really excited about that. And then we also have one-on-one -on -one, uh, mentoring, and that's uh, where it can be a youth player, college or pro who's looking for ways to improve their mental game. Um, and we have a, a growing group that uh, can help service you know, those people and really help them. Having, having people who have experience in soccer and pros in soccer just say, these are common things people go through. Because most people think they're defective. Like this is me, I'm defective, something's wrong with me. And they go, no, this is common. And it's, it, these are the ways we can help you manage it. It's just so, so important. And, and it translates to off the field too, because obviously you know, we can have stress and worries off the field as well as on the field. So we try to kind of serve the whole player um, and, and, and we're continuing to build. Um, we're in talks, well, we're now the uh, sport uh, mindset advisor for the NWSLPA. We just had our first presentation on Thursday with the Kansas City and WSL team. It was great, um, you know, able to offer them resources that they really struggle to have access to because of the low wages in the NWSL currently. Right. Um, just trying to really impact um, a lot of people, a lot of areas. Yeah. You know, Brad, you, you said something that I, I kind of want to touch on here. So Landon Donovan in 2013, he's, you know, a really well-known, recognized U.S. soccer player. He, he talked about sort of this um, stigma around mental health and getting help. And, and I want to read this quote. He's, he said, we have a sort of stigma that being in a difficult mental place is not acceptable. We should, quote, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, end quote, and, quote, fight through it, end quote, and all this. And it's a little peculiar to me that the whole idea that if someone's physically hurt, we're okay with letting them take the time they need to come back. But if someone's in a difficult time mentally, we're not okay with letting them take the time they need to come back. Hopefully there's at least a few people out in the world that can relate to this and can somewhat be inspired. Those comments by Landon in 2013, and here we are eight, nine years later, and we're starting to see uh, more emphasis around mental health where, you know, clubs, PA, you know, they're, they're starting to value this differently. Um, are you seeing, you, you know, you just talked about having this session with a lot of people from around the country. Um, are you seeing people be more receptive and, and the stereotype around uh, mental health and getting help and care um, kind of fall down, break down, or, or where are you seeing? I, I know a lot came out from the Summer Olympics and what went on with Simone Bile, but, um, and, and even uh, Michael Phelps documentary that was out that, that was really powerful for a lot of people. Um, wh where are you seeing sort of the state of mental health in, in the soccer community? Yeah, um, that I'll start with, I think the, the, the good news, so to speak, is um, I do. I see there are probably more receptive to it. I see that, um, you know, there have been so many athletes on, on multiple sports, which has really been fantastic, um, and especially a lot of male athletes coming out. Um, you know, but in the soccer world, uh, Jesse Lingard's come out. Uh, Christian Press recently, right, said, I'm going to take a break because I'm going to focus on my mental health and process some grief and get myself back to a better place um so i think that that there you know simone biles at the olympics um 
that, that there's more athletes than in Osaka having the courage to say, I'm going to step away and work on my mental health. And then you see so many athletes pour in, right? And say, absolutely, 100% support you. That's great. I've had struggles too. I can relate to that. So I think the language is are, are, it's getting more commonly talked about. There is some growing acceptance. Um, I think that the younger generations, you know, the youth players and maybe the young college players, they're more comfortable talking about mental health. It's more common language for them. People talk about depression and anxiety. I think the older, you know, players, maybe you know, some of the coaches, it's not quite as familiar and comfortable. So I think there's been a lot, um, even the, the, the FA the, um, in England, you know, the football governing body in England, they came out and started a campaign where they want to help really look at mental health, like physical health. And uh, yeah. Prince Andrew had a series, I don't know if you saw it on YouTube, it's really great, had, you know, six football, uh, six footballers, some very famous ones, Terion Reed, different ones, who just talked about mental health and how it affected them, but they didn't bring it up. So I think that the language and discussion has gotten much better there is more awareness of that. Um, and I also think there still are some barriers. Is, is it a generational attitude? Because, I mean, my my coaches, uh, when I was growing up playing the game, were, yeah, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, uh, cryings for sissies, you know, th those kinds of uh, cliches and and attitudes. So is it, a, is it a generational thing or is it, uh, perhaps we can't point to just one thing, but would you point to some other things as well? Yeah, so I, I would definitely say a generational thing. I think every generation gets a little bit more enlightened, a little bit more. And that doesn't mean every single person in that generation, obviously. Um, you know, but if we take a 15-year-old and say, do people at your school talk about anxiety and depression? Do you have friends? If you on social media, do you see that? And they're going to say, yeah, that's something that people talk about more. If you get someone who's 55 and say, do your friends talk a lot about you know, what you see on your social media, probably not nearly as much. And so not I think, as much. Yeah. yeah, so I think there is a generational thing. And then I think it just depends, you know, there, there's a powerful influence on the families we grow up in, right? The communities we're in, our family has a huge impact. Um, you know, sports, so much of it is, especially just like Land Donovan said, you know, push through it, grind through it. I mean, we hear that so much. And I think coaches are excellent at training players to persevere when they're physically tired right? Yeah. No, no, one more sprint, right? One more play. Okay, now you're tired. Okay, now work on this technical skill. And coaches are so good at that. And it's the part about relating and connecting that I think a lot of, there's a real shift in coaching where some of them are starting to do that more. Um, but I think age plays a factor. I think it's just what you're used to. Um, and we all are uncomfortable with change, you know? Sure. And so it, yeah. it's a hard thing when you've been socialized to not talk about it, not show it, and then people want to start to, to talk to you. Um, you know, I just kind of laugh with some of the male clients I work with. I say, how many times do you ever, you know, talk to your friend and your, you, you know, your buddy and go, hey, you want to just come over and talk? It's like, they just laugh. Well, yeah, we don't do yeah, that. Now, my that you want to come over and I'll go shoot pool or go for a run or you want to watch a game. And then we might talk while we're there, right? So I think that, you know, there's a gender, you know, um, issue as well. You know, men, that's just much, much harder to do in your work. I'm sure you're, you know, see that quite often. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that it, it, it is age. I think it's also just a lot of just culturally in society, even, I mean, you know, we don't show weakness. Yeah. Someone will take advantage of you, don't show weakness and just sort of cover it up and look like you're fine. And so I think there's still a tremendous amount of work to do. Is there another end of the spectrum though? Because some of the coaches that I work with and I try to, you know, I, I try to just be a mirror to them. I just try and hold it up and say, do you see this about yourself? Do you know this about yourself? And and most of the coaches I work with are of the age and the generation where, you know, it, it was grit, determination, push through. Um, but some of their criticism is we have a generation of kids that have been helicopter parent parented, um, and and everyone has won an an award, an achievement award, like whether they failed or. And I, I don't know if you've watched the Ted Lasso series, but. Um, you know, there's there's a couple episodes in there where Roy Kent gets upset because everybody wins an award and he's like, we lost, you know, I, I think he used some choice words in there. But uh, um, is there a flip side to this where maybe the younger generation is mentally not as strong or not as well developed because, you know, we could maybe point to a few things, including uh, people being into their devices so much. But is there a side to this too, where bringing 
bringing a, a bit of balance into that or do we need to bring balance or, or do we just need to kind of accommodate? Yeah, and, and, and I hear that quite a bit too. Um, and that to me, I think that it's a, it's a myth, right? That if now I'm vulnerable, I'm in touch with my emotions, I can let you know when I'm anxious, when I'm kind of nervous, um, you know, when I'm depressed, when I'm feeling kind of more down, my mood's down today then that means that, you know, Brad's just going to stay stuck there, right? Now mm -hmm. he's not going to be able to perform or take on challenges or, or push through the hardships of life. And something we really stress is that, you know, resilience that, you know, if you look it up, it's going to say basically that you're able to bounce back quickly from setbacks. And that is a part of it. But the thing we really stress is that you're going to feel the emotion of it and that's okay, right? The ability, you know, I've worked with veterans of PTSD, uh, you have PTSD from war, different things, and they become numb. And they will work so hard to get to a place where they can feel. And they'll go, oh my gosh, like I'm getting sad now about this thing happening with my partner. I'm getting, you know, nervous about this. What is wrong with me? I mean, I went through these things at war and here I am getting nervous about meeting someone new. What's wrong with me, right? And mm -hmm. so just talking about how that ability to sort of, if you can have self-awareness and notice those things, now you can you learn strategies to apply it. So I think if, if the thought process is, well, now people are more in touch with their emotions, they can say they have anxiety and depression when they do. If we don't give them tools and strategies to help them, then we're obviously leaving them ill-equipped. And so I think it's really that wonderful balance that I think the younger generations are so much more open, so much better at doing, not everybody, but they can. And then we need to give them tools and strategies and we don't grow perseverance unless there's challenges. So, you know, the whole everybody gets an award thing, um, you know, helicopter parents, my kid can't not play every minute of every game. And if they do, it's a disaster. I have to put them on a different team because Johnny or Sarah, you know, can't handle that. Um, while there is some of that, I think there's also such wonderful opportunity to give them tools and strategies versus I'm not going to acknowledge my thoughts and feelings and then I'm just going to grind through it. They still exist. And there's always a price to pay, right? We can push everything off. You know, if my ankle bothers me. I can keep playing, playing, playing. Eventually it's going to swell up like a grapefruit. Right. right? And if I keep going, I'm going to tear ligaments. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that we need to give kids more strategies. I believe that. And we need as parents to see the value of setbacks. I think that's super important. And for youth to see the value of setbacks, it's how you're going to grow and learn. And if we overprotect them, they want to experience them. Um, but I think that vulnerability and openness is true emotional strength. And if you give them tools and strategies, that's going to help them really outperform and outlast somebody who's just going to grind it through. Yeah. Yeah. I think tools and strategies are important. I think also creating space because sometimes a, a coach may not have the wherewithal to deliver those tools and strategies. That's where a chaplain, a counselor, you know, we, we, we talk about help helping kind of uh, professions, those those things are are helpful. Um, I, I want to touch just briefly, though, uh, Brad, on on suicide prevention and awareness because we're in September, and and perhaps one of the, one of the most um, familiar cases, uh, Robert Inke, who was a German goalkeeper, um, died November 10, two thousand nine. He was he was sort of in position to maybe be Germany's number one goalkeeper for the. 2010 World Cup, and um, let, let's talk a little bit about how um, tools, uh, e equipping people, creating space, how do those help us have better conversations so that someone who may be wrestling with suicidal thoughts or ideations can, yeah, get help or, or just be open to that? And, and what would you as a um, as a li licensed therapist, how would you kind of um, give that entree onto someone to say, hey, if this is part of where you're at or a dark side that you have thought about going to, here's why and how and where you can kind of get some help? Yeah, so maybe sort of in a, in a team level, um, if we're thinking about that, like what, what you know, maybe even coaches can do is if a coach just says, hey, we are all going to go through some mental health struggles at time. We're in the middle of a pandemic, right? Their mental health is the lowest it's been in 20 years. So some of you are going to have anxiety and depression become more impactful on you. 
And just want you to know that, this are, that these are things that happen to all of us and there's resources and help. If you could get a coach to say it, that would be amazing. Hmm. Acknowledge that it exists. Here's the resources we have. And you know, uh, many teams don't have those resources. They don't have you or someone else, a chaplain or mental health facility. Then it's sort of like, here's some places you can call. Here's where you can go. Um, it would be great if the team maybe had like a designated person on that team who maybe either from a personal experience, you know what I mean? Who just kind of said, Hey, I've gone through this before. I want to help you guys. You know, these are some things that would maybe a great outlet um, in an individual place. Uh, you know, that if, if, if somebody's going through a tough time, um, you know, that I think, you know, especially if, if they're male, then, you know, want to one, let people know they're not alone. And these are very common things we struggle with during the pandemic. We are more worn down mentally and emotionally. And so we're going to have more anxiety and depression. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to lose focus. We're just not going to feel like ourselves. Things are going to stick with us longer that are negative. We're going to struggle to overcome things that maybe were easier before the pandemic. And so I think that just kind of normalizing some things and some people are not receptive to going to talk to someone. Right. I think let them know there's people you can talk to. And a lot of people in my experience are not open to it. And I say, you know what? What I'd love you to do, um, you like sports? They say, yeah. And so you know who DeMar DeRozan is? Oh, you know, he's NBA All-Star. Um, you know, Michael Phelps is, right? One of my gold medals. They have a wonderful YouTube video that I would recommend. I recommend this to so many men. I've seen this, um, Brad, but it is it is amazingly powerful. They both just have this very open, it's kind of through the Bleacher Report. Um, if you just look up DeMar DeRozan and Michael Phelps, um, and they talk about depression, bearing it, not telling people the stigma in sports, the stigma growing up, why they didn't do it. And then once they did tell people what that experience was like, how it opened doors, people were helpful and receptive and they felt freer and they got help. Um, so I think there's so many um, athletes who have come out and shared about depression and anxiety and how it's affected them, that steering them sometime to watch it is a really good first step. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, if these guys go through it okay, this is normal. And so I think whatever we can do to let people know that these are common things, they're really prevalent. Um, we just don't talk about it. It looks like nobody in the locker room besides you is going through this, but there's probably right. three or four people who are. And then directing them towards those resources, like here's people where you can go to get some help. And if they're not receptive, like, okay, I get it. Well, why don't you just kind of see what DeMar DeRozan or Michael Phelps um, or other athletes that they feel inspired by um, Naomi Osaka, right? Simone Biles, whoever it may be, if male, you know, female, and listen to them tell their stories. Um, yeah. You can just YouTube and just say, you know, depression and soccer, and there are like 10 different stories that come up. Yeah. And yeah. So normalizing, normalizing is so important, even uh, as, as chaplains, as we deal with spiritual related issues, we try to normalize things that, hey, it's not abnormal to have questions about your faith, about God, about you know, we, we use big terms sometimes like theodicy, you know, how does, how do good things uh, or how do bad things happen to good people? You know, the, we wrestle with these questions and sometimes we feel very alone in our wrestling. And it's, it's just in that space to say, you're not alone. And this is not abnormal or strange or weird. This, this is part of how we're wired and, and who we are. And so that's a good word just to, just to even encourage, say, you know, I think when footballers that I've met, when they can meet someone else that shares a story, shares a similar experience, they can glean from them. Um, and and it's, uh, it, it's one way of just uh, helping each other on the journey. Um, it, sometimes I, I've, I've used this phrase that uh, uh, as a Christian person, I'm, I'm just one blind beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And, and it's a sense of I'm sharing my own story, my own pain, so that you can learn that your pain, your story can be healed, transformed, or, or you can understand it differently. And, and I think normalizing is a, is a pretty important part to that. So appreciate that. And I'll, I'll have a link to some of these, uh, stories in the podcast notes so that so that people can access them well brad just as we get ready to wrap up for today i'd, I'd like to have you just share a little bit more about soccer resilience and maybe there's an individual athlete that's listening right now and that person is saying my club my team my organization does not really get this they don't i'm, I'm alone in wanting to work on my mental health uh, what resources do you have for the individual 
And then maybe there's a technical director, a general manager, someone in, in club leadership, executive, otherwise, or a coach. How do they engage soccer resilience so that they can maybe bring programs in or bring you guys in to kind of do the things that they themselves are not equipped enough to do? Yeah, so a great place to uh, start is uh, soccerresilience.com. Our, our website's a great landing spot. Um, we have lots of things. You'll learn about our team. You'll learn about our services. Um, the best way to contact us uh, really through email would be wells, W-E-L-L-S, at soccerresilience.com. Um, and, you know, we, we really love when we uh, get to immerse ourselves in a club or a team and really try to impact that culture and really try to help them become more aware um, and take some of the stress off of those clubs because they're already doing so much to expect them to have mental training as part of things that coaches and you know, strength and conditioning do is a lot. So we hope to take that piece off their plate to really help the wellness longevity um, and burnout of their players. Um, yeah. So that's a great place to look at. Uh, we have a lot of, on our website, we have a lot of videos that are meant for players, that are meant for parents and coaches. Um, Soccer Resilience YouTube channel is a wonderful, we have like 45 videos on there. And you can learn about Soccer Resilience FC. It, it's, we really priced it in a way to make it accessible uh, to so many people. So for example, a team for $300 for the entire year, they get Soccer Resilience FC. And if you have 30 people on your team, that's $10 for the entire year. And we update it constantly and continue to kind of grow and add to, we have team talks. You can come and ask questions of pros and myself and different people. Um, and that's a great way for individuals. There's also, we have SRFC, it's a hundred dollars a year. So that's like, you know, um, less than, uh, you know, $9 a month and it has unlimited resources. So that's a really great way. Um, and so they can contact us their mental training sessions. would love to come in, that, 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 that inter-relationship uh, connection to really kind of help them hear the stories of Wes, uh, uh, Wells and Jess. It's so powerful. So Soccer Resilience is a great place um, you to kind of land to kind of see our resources and what we can offer. Um, and, and reach out to us, send Wells an email. Um, we'd love to just talk to you, talk about what we offer, who we are, how we can benefit your club, and really learn the specific needs of the, the teams and the clubs and how we can come in and best serve them. Well, and I want to encourage maybe if you're a football chaplain, you're listening to the podcast today, that uh, you look into Soccer Resilience too as a, as a resource, because as chaplains, we are responsible to look after the holistic care of the people that we serve from the executives, uh, staff, the management, um, and even the athletes. And so uh, maybe soccer resilience can be a touch point for you, or as my friends in the UK like to say, a signpost and some uh, a, a different place that you can send people so that they can get uh, the support that they need. Well, Dr. Miller, Dr. Brad, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This has been excellent. And I've, I've got some notes here to the side where... Uh, we didn't get a touch on everything I wanted to talk about, but we will definitely uh, have you, maybe uh, Wells and, and or maybe another Soccer Resilience founder back on to uh, share more about the work and to keep us informed and updated on mental health and awareness. Um, so, Brad, again, thank you. Thank you, Brad. I really appreciate you having me on today. Yeah. Well, you've been listening to Dr. Brad Miller of Soccer Resilience, and I'm Rev Brad coming to you from the Touchline.